Well, today we're continuing our message series, Experience God's Power. And in this series, we're studying accounts of miracles in the Bible. And one of the purposes of studying these miracles is that our faith would grow. Uh, we want to believe God for greater things in our own lives and in our church. And the way faith grows is through studying, reading the Word of God, and believing it. And so as we study the accounts of what happens in the Bible through faith, miracles that happen, God can give us faith to believe God for miracles in our lives today. Now this morning we're going to talk about miraculous protection. Miraculous pr protection. Now in this uh, passage that we're going to study today, we're going to see in effect the, the uh, veil kind of lifted so that we can see into a spiritual reality uh, we're going to see into a spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes that often we cannot see with our eyes. The Bible teaches us that, that the seen world, the things that we can see with our physical eyes, the things that we can touch, that we can handle, is not the only reality that there is. There is an unseen spiritual reality that's just as real as the physical reality that is all around us. In fact, the spiritual unseen reality, I believe, is even more important than the physical reality. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the spiritual reality relates to things that are eternal. It relates to things that are going to last forever, whereas the physical reality only has to do with things that are temporary. Our lives are temporary. This, this, this building is not going to last forever. The United States is not going to last forever. This world is not going to last forever in its present form. Now in our culture today, we tend to think about things that can be explained rationally, that can be explained logically, and that has to do with physical realities. But physical reality, as I said, is not the only thing there is. There's also an unseen spiritual reality. So I'd like us to watch a short video entitled Unseen, which is talking about the unseen spiritual reality. The unseen world. How can we learn more about this unseen world, this spiritual reality, even though we can't see it with our eyes? In your bulletin, there's a white page. I'd encourage you to take it out. It has the scriptures written out, uh, as well as study questions on the back. I'd encourage you to look at it during the week and study uh, again what you learned on, on Sunday mornings and also work on those questions. And it has some additional scriptures there to help you dig in a little more deeply. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, This is what we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities, underline those two words, spiritual realities, with Spirit-taught words. And so God's Word, the Bible, the Scripture, it, it explains spiritual realities by the Holy Spirit. It explains to us, it helps us to understand what is going on in the unseen realm, the realm we cannot see with our physical eyes, the realm is, that is so very important, the realm that has to do with our eternity. Our life here on this earth is only 70, 80 years, and then it's forever. And spiritual reality has to do with the forever part as well as what's going on during our time on this earth. 
And so as we study the Bible, a person of faith chooses to believe what the Bible says about this spiritual reality, even though we can't see it with our physical eyes. We choose to believe it. That's where faith comes in. We choose to believe even though we cannot explain it scientifically. For you see, science has to do with physical reality. Science has to do with things that can be touched, that can be measured, that can be seen with a telescope or a microscope. And those things are real. They're created by God. And it's a good thing to study the physical reality that we live in. But science cannot explain spiritual reality. It can't measure it. It can't see it. It can't put it under a microscope. Science can't teach us about spiritual reality. When science uh, attempts to, it gets things wrong. The Bible reveals spiritual reality to us from God. The next verse, in verse 14, it says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now, who are people without the Spirit? They're unbelievers. Unbelievers consider spiritual reality foolishness. They can't explain it. They don't understand it. And so they say, that's silly. That's foolish. Why would anyone believe in God? Why would anyone believe in angels? Why would anyone believe in heaven, hell? All the spiritual realities the Bible teaches us about, they consider it foolishness because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so spiritual reality is, is discerned through the Holy Spirit who lives inside each and every believer. And in this spiritual realm, this spiritual reality that we cannot see, there is a spiritual warfare going on all the time between the kingdom of God and the realm of Satan. It goes on in each of our lives. It goes on in our cities. It goes on in our country. It goes on around the world. The realm of evil, the realm of Satan, is described in Ephesians 6.12. It says, for our struggle... And the hour is referring to believers. The believer's struggle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is people. It's physical reality. People we can see. The people we talk to. The people we listen to. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we battle against not people. We battle against spiritual unseen forces that are coming against us personally, that are coming against us as a church, that are coming against the church worldwide. That is what we battle against. And so we have the realm of Satan and his principalities, powers, authorities. There's different levels of authority in the demonic realm. God's spiritual army, on the other hand, consists of angels of various ranks and authorities. Hebrews 1.14 says, which I don't have there, says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so if you're a believer today, you are one who's going to inherit salvation. And so angels are spirits that serve God, and they serve God's children. And we see this happening in many ways in Scripture. And we're going to talk about an incident today involving an angel. And the angels that were 
active in Bible times, the Bible describes them to us, are still active today. The Bible is explaining to us spiritual realities that have been true since the creation of the world and are still true. Spiritual warfare gets most intense when believers are being witnesses. Uh, when they're witnessing to people in the power of the Spirit, they're extending the kingdom of God. And what does the opposition want to do? They want, he wants to push back. Satan wants to push back. He wants to stop the expansion of God's kingdom. And so, when believers are witnessing in the power of the Spirit, the demonic forces of Satan will stir up human opposition to the believer's witness. And we call that persecution. And we see that across the world today. There are uh, many people say there are more martyrs, people being martyred for the Christian faith today than ever before in the history of the world. Persecution against believers across the world. And what's behind that persecution? Demonic forces of Satan stirring up people, using people as his puppets to persecute God's kingdom and God's kingdom expansion. And yet, God has angels, and his angels are sent on a mission to protect and help believers fulfill God's purpose. And so we have this clash of spiritual reality, and we can see it often in the physical reality on the news each and every day. Today our story comes from Acts chapter 5. And the apostles are being witnesses in Jerusalem. Acts 5.16 says, uh, Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And so the apostles were carrying on the ministry of Jesus. They were healing the sick. They were preaching the gospel, they were casting out demons, and great crowds were gathering to be ministered to. Now, who was not happy about that? The devil was not happy about it at all. Uh, he didn't want this to happen. And so, he stirred something up, which we're going to talk about in a minute. The Bible says, everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's uh, without exception. And so if you live a godly life as a witness for Jesus Christ, which every true believer should, you are going to face persecution. And that's what happened in our story. Verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. And so the Jewish leaders were jealous of the apostles. Why? Because the apostles were getting large crowds listening to them. And where did the Jewish leaders want the large crowds? In the temple listening to them. And so the people were listening to the apostles, not to them, and they were jealous. And so they persecuted the apostles. They arrested them and put them into jail. Now what was the source of that persecution? Was it the religious leaders? No, they were flesh and blood. And so the real battle was not against them. It was against the demonic forces of the enemy stirring them up and using them to bring about this persecution. Satan wanted to silence the apostles. Uh, if he put them in jail, they wouldn't be able to speak to large crowds, would they? And so it was his attempt to stop them. They were in jail. People wouldn't be healed. People wouldn't be delivered. People wouldn't be saved. But God's plan for his apostles was 
for them to continue his witness. So he dispatched an angel to bring about a deliverance. It says, During the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them, that is the apostles, out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And so the apostles were locked in a jail cell. The doors was closed. The lock was locked shut. There were guards posted outside. It seemed like there'd be no way they could escape. And yet somehow in the middle of the night, an angel came in. An angel is part of spiritual reality. Most of the time we can't see angels. But from time to time they may make themselves visible. I believe there's angels in this room. We just can't see them. There's angels all over. But these, an angel, one angel, it says, it only took one angel to do this jailbreak and take a whole bunch of them. He opened the door and brought them out and the guards didn't even notice. And not only did this angel protect the apostles, but this angel gave them a message. He gave them a command and instruction from God himself. So it says to go out and continue doing what you were doing before. Continue witnessing But now I want you to go to the temple courts. The temple courts were where the Jewish leaders were. Those were the ones that just arrested them. That seems pretty dangerous to me, doesn't it? But that's where they were to go, to the temple courts. And so the apostles chose to obey. They chose to obey God's instructions. And so at daybreak, they, the apostles, entered the temple courts as they'd been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. And so the Jewish leaders woke up, and apparently they hadn't even got to the temple courts yet. They called together the whole Sanhedrin, this ruling body of Israel, and they were going to be like a court. They were going to try the apostles for crimes against the Jewish religion and come up with some punishment. And so they sent for the jail to the jail to get the apostles out. They locked them up the night before. They figured they'd still be there. And amazingly, the apostles' escape was not noticed until the morning. They went, they opened the jail cell, and there was nobody inside. How could it be? The jail cell was locked. Apparently the angel Yeah, it says he opened the doors, so he closed the doors <laughs> and locked them up. So it looked like they had never been opened. And the guards, I don't know, I guess they slept through the whole thing. They probably uh, had them put them into a deep sleep. The guards had seen nothing. The Jewish leaders were at a loss how this could have happened. They had no explanation. We locked them up, and now they're not there anymore. And so despite the risk of Further imprisonment, or even worse, the apostles obeyed the angel's command and went to the temple courts and began teaching the people again. Now, the Jewish leaders that had originally put the apostles in jail were part of the Sadducees. And interestingly, the Sadducees don't believe in much spiritual reality. They don't believe in the resurrection from the dead, and they don't believe in angels. And yet it was an angel that freed the apostles. 
Now, do angels rescue every believer who is in danger? Well, we only need to read a couple chapters uh, ahead in Acts chapter 7. We're in Acts chapter 5 now. And in Acts chapter 7, we have the account of the martyrdom, martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, Stephen worked many miracles as well. He preached, he witnessed, he saw many people saved. And yet, uh, Stephen was seized and he was stoned to death. The first martyr uh, of the Christian faith. And so what was the difference? I don't really know, other than it was God's plan for the apostles to be rescued and continue their mission, and Stephen's mission in life was over. It was time for Stephen to meet Jesus in heaven. God has a different plan for each and every person. He could send an angel to rescue everyone. Uh, he doesn't. And, but we know he can. And from time to time, he will. And so what are we to make of angels? The Bible teaches us that angels are all around us. I believe each and every day. The Bible teaches us that angels, uh, it almost sounds like each person is assigned an angel, a guardian angel. We don't know a whole lot about them, but they protect us. They strengthen us. We see them ministering to Jesus. They affect circumstances and situations around us to bring about God's purpose. The Bible makes it clear that angels are not to be worshipped. Sometimes people get a little mixed up and begin worshipping angels. Well, God is the only one who is to be worshipped. Angels are simply his servants. Angels are his helpers. Angels are not to be commanded by believers. Angels are not to be prayed to. But when we pray, we can believe that God will dispatch his angels to help bring answers to our prayers. Now, in our story, the disciples, uh, the apostles here, are going to learn that persecution never stops. And the same is true for us today. If you're desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, if you're making an impact for the kingdom of God, you are going to be persecuted all through your life. It's never going to stop. Now, sometimes it may be worse than others, but you're always going to be persecuted. Why? Because we're in this spiritual warfare. That's what's going on in the spiritual reality. If you're doing something positive for the kingdom of God, Satan is going to fight back against you. And so we need to be ready. Our story continues in verse 26. It says, At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. And so when they realized that the apostles were not in jail, they went and found them. They found them in the temple courts and they brought the apostles before the Sanhedrin. But uh, this time they treated them nicely because all the people were listening to them. All the people wanted to hear what they had to say. And so uh, the Jewish leaders' hands were, were tied. And so the, the high priest began to question them. I don't have time to read the whole passage. I encourage you to read it this week. The high priest began to question them about what they were doing. Why were you still teaching in the name of Jesus? We told you not to do this. He also said that the apostles, he accused the apostles of saying that the Jewish leaders were responsible for the death of Christ. Well, in fact, they were. And they said they shouldn't be doing that. Now, if you were an apostle, how would you respond? You've been put in jail for witnessing, for speaking in the name of Jesus. God had rescued you. And now you were standing in court again and saying, we've told you 
what not to do, and you still keep doing it, how are you going to respond? Well, if they were thinking about themselves and their own personal safety, they might say, well, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, we made a big mistake. We won't do it again. We're going to be nice, quiet Christians. We're just going to keep our faith to ourselves and not attempt to tell anybody else about it. And if we do that, can we just go away and go to our homes and let's just forget about it. Did the apostles do that? Well, they were determined to continue their witness. It could have meant jail again. It could have meant something even worse. But they knew that they must obey God rather than man. And Peter and the other apostles replied to the high priest, we must obey God rather than human beings. In other words, Peter was saying that when the law of God and the law of man are in conflict, we as believers are going to obey God's law because God's law has a higher authority than man's law. And that's a basic principle that applies to each and every one of us today. The Bible teaches us that we are to obey the, the law of the land, the law of man, if it's in keeping with God's law. But if it conflicts with God's law, then we are to obey God's law not the law of the land. And so Peter continued, interestingly enough, the Sanhedrin did not want the apostles to teach in the name of Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. And they did not want to be accused of killing Jesus. So what did the apostle Peter do? Well, he preached to the Sanhedrin and did exactly what they were telling him not to do. He was a man of great courage, a man of great boldness. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, well, he bore witness to the whole gospel. We're going to see what he did here in a very short, few short verses. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, uh, summarized in Acts 2.38, he spoke of three events and of three responses that God requires of every believer. And he repeats them here in his witness to the Jewish leadership of all Israel gathered together to put him on trial. First of all, he says that God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. And then looking square into the face of the high priest, he said, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. And so Jesus' death and resurrection are at the heart of the Christian message. You must believe, the Bible tells us, in the resurrection in order to be saved. I don't think we talk enough about the resurrection. It's not just about Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, if Jesus died on the cross and stayed dead, we have nothing to talk about. Our faith is, is worthless. But Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. Peter repeats the truth that the Jewish leadership was responsible for the death of Jesus. And they were. Now, the whole truth is that we're all responsible for the death of Jesus because our sins are what caused him to have to die on the cross. So each and every person has a hand in Jesus being crucified. And so we must repent of our sins. We must ask forgiveness in order to be saved. And so Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And then God exalted him as prince and savior. Peter continues in verse 31. Again, preaching to the high priest, preaching to the Sanhedrin. God exalted him, that's Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior. 
that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And so it's 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven to rule and reign as prince and savior. A prince is the same meaning as lord or leader. And those who desire to be followers of Jesus must believe and put their trust in him, not only as savior, but as their prince, as their leader, as, as their lord. And so the first command of Jesus that every new believer must follow is his command to be water baptized. It's, a, it's really a question, are, have you committed your life to Jesus as Lord? He commands every new believer to be water baptized after they've believed. And so if you have not been water baptized yet, you're a believer here today, you've not been water baptized since you've become a believer, I encourage you to sign up on your Connect card and we'll put you on the list for our next water baptism. So God exalted Jesus as Prince or Lord and Savior. And finally, just as he did in Acts 2.38, Peter preaches that God gives the Spirit to the obedient. Verse 50.32, he says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so here Peter, I believe, is speaking of the promise of the Father. He's speaking of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God gives the baptism in the Holy Spirit to every believer who trusts and walks in obedience to Jesus. The Holy Spirit bears witness in the lives of those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit by giving them the ability to pray to God and praise God in a language they haven't learned. The Spirit empowers people baptized in the Spirit to be Jesus' witness, as Jesus promised in Acts 1.8. Now, as we read on in the story, the Jewish leaders wanted to kill the apostles. I mean, they were infuriated. They just told them, don't talk about this. And here Peter was preaching to them the very things they told him not to say. But God used a man named Gamaliel to stand up and offer a defense for the apostles. And they were released and continued to be witnesses throughout Jerusalem. Now let's talk about how this applies to us today in the year 2016, St. Louis, Missouri, in the country of the United States of America. Persecution is increasing in our country. Persecution of the church, persecution of Christians is increasing at an accelerating pace, I believe. Our religious freedom, which is defined in the First Amendment, it's under attack in many different ways as well. This coming week in our Life Church Newsflash email, uh, I'll be sending a link to what I believe is an important paper. It was written by George Wood, who's the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God. It's entitled The Battle of Religious Freedom, or, or The Battle for Religious Liberty. And he lays out the battle that is ongoing in our country for our religious liberty the freedom to be able to practice our worship of God in the way that the Bible teaches is under attack. And so I'd encourage you to look for that and to read that article prayerfully. Now, do we need to fear persecution? <clears throat> and the answer is absolutely not. We 
carry on being Jesus' witnesses, we trust in him to protect us, to carry out his purpose for our lives. If there's a conflict between the laws of man and the laws of God, which is what tends to happen as persecution increases in a country, the laws, the very laws that are passed uh, tend to undermine the law of God, to tell Christians they can't do certain things that God tells them to do or that they should do things that God's word says they shouldn't do. And so we must obey and choose to obey God. We also must continue to speak the whole truth of God. Even those parts that are not politically correct to, th to talk about. In some countries, there are certain things that pastors can no longer teach on right out of the Bible because there are laws against it, just like there were laws back in the days of the apostles. Don't talk or teach in the name of Jesus. And so they may be laws, but we must continue to speak the whole truth of God's word. Now when we do, even if the law is not against it, we might be called bigots, we might be called fundamentalists, we might be called Bible thumpers, or the devil comes up with all kinds of names. And it doesn't really matter. They called Jesus all kinds of names, did they not? They called him Beelzebub. They called him the devil. They called him a drunkard. They called him all kinds of names. And we can expect no less. And so don't be worried if people call you names. The goal of our witness is to present the whole gospel so that people will be saved, uh, people will be empowered eventually to become witnesses themselves. And when we bear witness to the gospel, there will be those who hear. There will be those who respond. And the kingdom will expand. The whole gospel is salvation through faith. Forgiveness of our sins, number one. Number two, following Jesus as Lord. The first step for a believer is to be water baptized. The third thing is receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be empowered to be Jesus' witnesses. And as we do that, as we bear witness to the whole gospel, God's power will be with us and he'll protect us as we see his kingdom advance. Now this morning I want to give you an opportunity if you are not a believer here this morning, or if you feel like you strayed away from God, it's an opportunity to recommit your life, to admit that you've sinned, to believe that Jesus died to forgive you, and He rose from the dead, and commit your life to following Him as your Lord. So let's bow our heads right now. We'll pray. If you haven't prayed a prayer like this before, if you're not sure that you're a believer, I'd encourage you to pray along with me, or if you want to recommit your life, say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I haven't been seeking your kingdom first in my life. I've been doing what I wanted to do. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you, God, for this story of the courage of the apostles who continued to be witnesses even in the face of persecution. Who didn't choose to be silent. Who didn't choose to cover up their witness. Who didn't choose to be politically correct. But they spoke what you commanded them to speak. 
no matter what the consequences would be. May we also choose to obey God rather than man. Father, we pray that you'd forgive us for not taking advantage of the religious freedom that we now have to spread your word, to be witnesses for you. Give us the courage, God, to tell everyone we know about Jesus and his plan for, your li- for their lives. We thank you, God, that we are not alone in our struggle against the enemy. We thank you, God, that you have powerful angels that you send to protect us, that you send to help us in our mission. And we know and we believe that you and your heavenly army are, are more powerful than anything the devil may send against us, anything the devil may attack us with. And so I pray, God, that you'd encourage everyone here to have a vision, a heart, and the courage to seek you to do greater things for you in the coming months than we've ever done in the past. We thank you, God, for what you have in store for us as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.